Uh, Rob has been preaching about um, God's kingdom come and God's will be done. And so, uh, bringing God's kingdom to earth, we were created to worship the Lord, that Lord should be capital L, in spirit and truth. And missions exist because worship doesn't, is a quote from John Piper. Why do we worship? This morning, Greg talked about leaky roof. Maybe a leaky roof stops us worshiping. What stops us from worshiping? Every one of us says something bad happens and instantly we stop worshiping. Or we wonder where God is in coming through in a certain case and, and we stop worshiping. There's many things that happen. Sometimes good things happen. Really good things happen. And we stop worshiping. We forget. Life is good. Life is great and grand. And the bombers actually win. (laughs) Uh, Pardon me. It's just, I have to pick on those guys, you know. You all know me that way and I just can't let you down. When they were winning all season, somebody says, they're going to win. I said, no, they haven't figured out yet that they're not actually... Oh, sorry, I won't go there anymore. <laughs> Not a blessing. Okay, don't go there. Don't go there. One of the things I like about being with Jesus is that we all get to win. And if we're all playing football, both sides get to win because we're with Jesus. So in, in, in preparation for this morning, uh, what prevents us from worshiping? What do we go through? And, and, and I go, go through stuff, and you go through stuff, and we go through things uh, that prevents us from worshiping. And so we're going to look this morning at Psalms 22, 23, and 24. And uh, can you change that Lord to a capital L? I'm sorry, it's just going to bug me all morning to have that small L up there. What's that? And Piper? I don't care about Piper. <laughs> But that, the Lord, that, that really bugs me. <clears throat> Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He receives me. Did you know that Psalms 23 comes after Psalms 22 and before Psalms 24? (laughs) Go figure. And Psalms 23 is probably the most memorized portion of Scripture besides John 3.16. And I just want to give us a context for Psalms 23. Because most of the time, it's very impactful and powerful, but the context of it being between 22 and 24... Is, is what we don't recognize. And in Psalms 24, he, we're going to end there this morning about the King of Glory. Who is this King of Glory? 
The Lord strong and mighty. That's who the King of Glory is. And He's going to come in power and in might, the King of Glory. But what we want to talk about this morning is how do we do life? In Psalms 22, 23, 24, illustrate how to do life. And the beautiful thing with Scripture is that when the Psalms was written, they did not yet have the New Testament, and Jesus had not been here, so they didn't fully understand what was being written and said. Just like in the Old Testament, they understood, but they understood partially. When Christ came, He says, I am the light, I am the word, and people says, ah, now we understand more better. We understand more better what you meant about relationship and being together. See, we've got the grade fives and sixes with us, you know, so I'm trying to, you know, more better. So, then when the Holy Spirit came, Jesus says, I have to go so the Holy Spirit can come because He will enlighten you. He will open your minds so that you can see. And He says, in Revelation will be little bit by little bit so we get it more and more. But the amazing thing is that as we read through the Old Testament and Psalms and different things, that time and time again, there's things that are quoted in the New Testament which validate the Old Testament and, and put us into that story. So here we are, we're in the story, we're reading the Psalms, but the, the, all of Scripture, all of creation, all of history are in that story. And we find ourselves in it, and we find hope in it. And so this morning we're going to experience a bit of, how can the Psalms, which is somebody writing in, in a prayer journal type thing to God, how can that be a word to us? And I want us to experience that this morning. It's a, it's a hymn book, it's a prayer book, and it expresses feelings and emotions that we sometimes wonder about. So we just finished a church review and people talked about a lot of different things and asked questions and he says, okay, so when is it okay to talk to other people about something? And, and when is it not? When it's difficult, when do we complain and who do we complain to? Hmm? Let me just illustrate. If I don't like something here in the city, who do I complain to? I got to complain to somebody who can make who can make a change, right? Who can make a difference? Okay. Now God's word tells us to submit to every authority that we have. So in the country, what if there's something nationally that we don't like? Who do we complain to? Government people, officials? What if they don't make the changes? What if what if they're bad? Who do we complain to? each other. That's the truth of it. We complain to each other. We sit in the coffee shop and complain about people who aren't in the room. It not make any difference. We've got to complain where it makes a difference. We've got to talk to the person who's in charge. That person can change things. Jesus knew persecution. He knew misunderstanding. He knew mistreatment. The government of his day was as crooked as a dog's hind leg. <laughs> Thank you, Charles, my friend. <laughs> He's going to use that saying. It's probably a Kenyan Rwanda saying that fits that too, right? 
the church was legalistic, legalistic, non-relational. So there's people who are born and raised in legalistic churches and we get moved in grace. We say, oh, that's so bad, the legalism. And then we, we forget to be gracious even though we're saved by grace. Been there, done that. Jesus knew what it was like to be in a legalistic church and he moved in grace. Jesus knew what it was like to have a government that was against you. Jesus knew what it was like to have people not recognize who he was and challenge him over and over again on authority. The church, the nation, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? We need to understand that that challenge came from Satan. Jesus, who do you think you are? That you're going to say people should worship you. Who do you think you are? That you're worthy of worship. You're nobody, you're nothing. And then here's you and me. We grow up in in this environment and people sometimes, someplace have said to us, you're nobody. You're nothing. And we believe it and act on it. Things go wrong or people get up and talk about, oh, hallelujah, God provided a miraculous way. There it was. And we sit here and say, I love to hear that story, but what about me? Why don't I hear that story? Or people talk about healing. Why don't I get healed? So we have these struggles. Where do we go with these struggles? Most of my life, I complain to my wife first. And if my kids are listening, they get it too. And for some reason, they think bad thoughts about a lot of people in church. I don't know why. <laughs> and they hear me complaining and complaining. And I complain about my boss, I complain about government. The truth is I'm complaining about God. That's the truth of it. I'm not worshiping God. I'm complaining about God. Along with Adam who says, God, why did you give me this wife? You're the problem. So we need to understand what's at the root of our complaining or what is at the root of our praise. And we can choose how we respond. And the enemy wants us to not Praise the Lord. No matter what. Why are we moving to 305 Main Street? We are moving to the heart of the city. God's desire in the heart of the city is that his name would be glorified. That people would worship him in the heart of the city. Satan wants people to move into the heart of the city who will complain and grumble and pick at each other and be an unblessing. And we get to choose. Are we going to partner with Satan or are we going to partner with the Lord Jesus Christ? And if we choose to worship, we're partnering with the Lord Jesus Christ. If we choose anything other than that, any response other than that, we are partnering and we are agents of the enemy. You want to know what the mark of the beast is or what the beast is? Anybody that worships anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it right there. Don't have to look for it in a person. It's in our hearts. So, Psalms 22. Psalms 22 is written as a prayer. 
And it's a guide on how to pray when we're in anguish or when we're exhausted. And God invites us to be totally open and honest with Him. This is what I find typically in my prayers, in my prayer life and with people, that when I go to God, I am most respectful. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, most merciful God. We thank you for your presence and your guidance. We thank you for your wisdom. We're most polite and respectful. When we talk to each other, we tend to be unpolite and unrespectful. Do you know what's going on? Do you know what that dirty dog did? Do you know what's happening over here? Do you know what he said? We have it exactly backwards. When we meet with the Lord, we need... You see, this is the difference between gossip and praying. Gossiping, there's somebody in the room. Praying, there's nobody in the room. I can say exactly those things with nobody in the room. And I go, Jesus, do you know what's happening over here? Do you know what that guy did? I'm not gossiping. I'm praying. I'm talking to the one, the one who can do something about that situation. And I'm leaving it there. And so sometimes we go in prayer and we pray again and again and we run out of words and we pray in tongues. And some people say, well, I don't know about praying in tongues. I've got an issue with that. That's, I'm not going there today. I'm just saying, when I haven't got words to say anymore, I don't know what to say or what to do, I pray in tongues. And I give God the situation and I pray in tongues. Father, here's the situation. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why. 305 Main Street. Why all these problems? What's going on? City Council. All these guys. And I pray. And I pray. And I pray. And then when I meet with people, I'm gracious. How's it going? Then I become ungracious, and Greg notices that. I become ungracious. Oh, sorry, I got to go back to the prayer room. When I'm ungracious, I, I haven't prayed enough. Excuse me, please forgive me. I got to go back here and pray some more. The reason we're ungracious is we're not praying. We're not going to the one who can make a difference. That's why we're ungracious. Psalms teaches us how to do this. It's brilliant. Psalms 22 is for anybody who's suffering, for anybody who, who feels they're hard done by or not validated or in a difficult place. Anybody who feels misunderstood, not treated fairly. Maybe I'm the only one who ever thinks that. I don't know. But if that's been you, the Psalms is for you. And it begins in Psalms verse 22 verse 1, and if you have your Bible, it's brilliant. In verse 1, these are words that are spoken by Jesus Christ on the cross. So the psalmist is writing this long before Christ was born, and Christ is on the cross, and he quotes Psalms 22 to validate the words to tell us these are the words you say when you are persecuted. And hanging on the cross, he is saying, I know persecution. 
And here I am, persecuted by the government and by the religions and by the people, my own people, my own family, I'm persecuted. And I want you to respond how I respond. I have given you the words. They're in the Psalms. Use them. And validate. Don't deny what's going on. Validate them. So he says in Psalms 22 verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and you have, but I have no rest. Jesus was alone on the cross. Alone. And he told us, you will never be alone. You will not experience alone how Jesus did. He is with us. But Jesus knows alone. And he cries. And if you feel alone, if you feel there's nobody with you, there's the words. Scream them to the Lord. At the top of your lungs. Scream and yell. Wave your fists. Why am I alone? Be honest. Then in verse 3, the psalmist, see he's processing and he's praying. And he says, yet you are holy. O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. So he remembers the history, the children of Israel. He remembers what God has done. And so ought we to remember how God has provided for us, how he's helped. Different places he's intervened and helped us. Remember, remember, remember the good things God has done. So the psalmist does that. He remembers the good things. And it's not a magical fix. Not a magical cure. Oh, that will all feel good. No, 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 no. Verse 3. Pardon me, verse 6. But me, I am a worm. I'm a worm. I'm nobody. I'm not a man. I'm a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who sneer at me, I sneer. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with a the lip. They wag their head saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him. Because He delights in Him. There's a picture of Christ on the cross. And the people mocking Him. Why don't you cry out? Maybe Elijah will save you. Hey, maybe somebody will come. You're the Son of God. Call the angels to come if you're really somebody. Why don't you come? And so Jesus, The words of the Psalms are lived out in Christ. And they're lived out in you and me. The question is, as they're lived out, are we complaining to everybody or are we worshipping? That's the question. Verse 9. Pardon me, verse 8. In verse 8 we have, commit yourself to the Lord. Mm -mm. Verse 9. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. He's remembering again who God is. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. When, a, when upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. So he's remembering. You've been here. You redeemed me. You saved me. You brought me this far. But you hear the torment of the psalmist who's in a miserable place. He's being hunted. I brought this lesson in Rwanda during Genocide Memorial Week. 
And the people sitting there when I says he's being hunted knew exactly what I was saying. And the encouragement to them is the same as to you and me. Are we going to worship the Lord? Their circumstance and situation was a thousand million times more severe and gross than any of us have experienced. But it's the same challenge. Are you going to worship the Lord? Or are you going to complain? Get bitter and angry? And people say, well, what do you expect? All the family got killed. The question is, are you going to worship the Lord? Or are you going to get bitter and angry? No matter what your situation. It's the same question. And if we say, oh, well, I, this situation, I, 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 no, no, I can't, not in this situation. What we're saying is, Jesus is not enough in this situation. I, not, I cannot worship him in this, because he's not enough. And if he's not enough, then he's not enough. Corey ten Boom said, I didn't realize Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. Corey ten Boom, who rescued many, many Jews during the Holocaust, who was imprisoned for it. The psalmist goes on. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There's nobody to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. In the genocide, the people will go down to the river to try and find a place to hide among the reeds and the bulrushes. And the water buffalo would come out and try and pierce them with their horns. They know the psalm. And they say, why? Why are the cows coming here to try and kill us? We're just trying to survive. They had no food. Their skin is stuck to their bones. Then the lion would hunt, and the dogs, the dogs were going around eating all the bodies that were there. When they ran out of bodies, they started hunting living people. My friends, our family in Rwanda knows this psalm. And the Lord is saying to them from the middle of the psalm, Will you worship me? Will you worship me? Or is this too much? Hmm? Jesus hanging on the cross says, will you worship me? Or is this too much? We worship him. They pierced my hands and my feet. Christ knows the persecution. I count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. He's speaking prophetically. But what would happen to Christ on the cross? He didn't know what he was saying. But in the middle of his anguish and torment and pain, he's prophesying what our Savior would go through. Will we worship the Lord? Or is this too much? We will either worship the Lord... Or we'll grumble and complain. I can tell you, as one who has grumbled and complained much, then in verse 22, the psalmist makes a decision. 
He's looking around. All the people who are with him, they're all skin and bones. Everybody's being hunted. Nobody's got any place to go. Government should intervene. They don't. They're part of the ones hunting and killing. What are you going to do? In the middle of that, what are you going to do? And the psalmist who's been talking to God, the Father, until now, decides he's going to talk to the people around him. And he says this, I will tell, he says to the Father, I will tell of your name to my brethren. He says, in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. God, what I'm going to do, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go among my people and I'm going to start praising you. That's what I'm going to do. Then he says to the people around him, to his fellows around him, he's now, you who fear the Lord, praise him. Come on, people, let's praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, praise him. Glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. Verse 24. For he has not despised nor abhorred the afflicted, affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. He is speaking prophetically because he has not experienced God's help. He has not experienced God hearing him. Yet he declares that God hears him and sees him. He says, this is the truth of who God is. This is the truth, brothers. Let's praise him. He is the one who redeems us. The only hope we have is God. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Let's start to worship and celebrate and dance because God is our provider. The highest form of praise, lamentation, the highest form of praise is when we praise God when Every situation and circumstance says we should not. We have everything to complain and grumble about. But in the middle of that, we praise the God. You know who loses then? Satan says, I, I'm, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know what to do anymore. These people just keep praising God, no matter what I do. It's brilliant. Why? For the kingdom is the Lord's. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over nations. Every authority that is there is put there by God. Every authority has got a limit except God's. God's has no limit. And the psalmist says, I'm going to appeal to the one who's in charge of everything. That's where my appeal is. That's where my grumble is. In my complaint. And I'm going to worship him. Verse 29. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. And all those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his own soul. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness. The people will be born that he has performed it. He is prophesying. These people are going to be worshiping God. When no more grumbling and complaining and biting each other, but worshiping God, praising and worshiping God. And then with the skin still stuck to his bones, and no food in his stomach, and the people still hunting him, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. What more do I need? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's still being hunted. He's still starving. He's still being persecuted. And he says, what a glorious life I have. Do you know who I am? Job says it. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. Out of the anguish, don't deny what you've been going through, are going through. Don't deny it. But don't grumble and complain. Talk to the Lord about it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. You have anointed my head with oil. To clear my thinking. To get my head straight. That my Redeemer lives. You anoint my head with oil to clear out all the bugs in the ears that are telling me lies about what's happening because I judge God by my circumstance. My cup overflows. God, you are so good to me. You are so good to me. You are so good to me. You're so good to me. That you would love me. That you would love me. That you would send your spirit to live in me. That you would give me life eternal. You're so good to me. Verse 6 of that verse is for old people. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm old people. What it means is that as you've been through this difficulty and this struggle and all this stuff of Psalms 22 and Psalms 23 and all that stuff, you've endured it and you've endured it and you've endured it and now you come to the end, the tail end of your life is now what's going to happen? God says when you're here, when you've been through that, you need to know goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Follow you is not like this, like somebody following me. No, 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 no. Surely goodness and mercy will hunt you down. It will hunt you down. You can't hide from God's goodness and mercy. No matter where you are, He's going to come and find you. He will hunt you down. And the Holy Spirit's got a good scent for tracting. You say, well, I'm miserable, I'm nothing, I'm, who am I? The Holy Spirit will hunt you down. No, 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 you are the one that God has redeemed. That's who you are. And if you can do nothing, if you're at the end of your life and you could do nothing, when my granny was, she was an intercessor, she would pray. And she said to me, if all I can do in my life is lie in bed and pray, I'll be happy. Hallelujah. That's a good thing to say when you're healthy. She had strokes, multiple strokes, and her body shut down. Her mind was still working clear, clearly, but not her body. All that was left was this. She could move one finger. And I went and visited my granny in the hospital. 
And the doctor said, she's given up. She wants out. And I visited my granny. And I says, granny, you told me that if all you could do is lie in bed and pray, that that'd be enough. Now they tell me that it's not enough. That you're not happy. What happened, granny? What happened? I need you to pray for me, for my kids, for these people. You need to pray for them. And if God has you lying in the bed and all you can do is pray and move one finger, then that's enough. Then do it. So I read Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Tears rolled down her face. And she squeezed my hand with her finger. It's enough. And she lived for a few more weeks fighting and praying. Surely goodness and mercy will hunt you down. We have a brother here, David Adrian, who's not here this morning. He's at home. He's got a condition where his brain shrinks and known him for years, prayed together for years. I love him. He prays. You know, when I'm, I'm in desperate need, says, God, I need somebody to pray. And say, I know David Adrian's in front of your face right now. Can you have him pray for me? Because he lives there. It's enough. It's enough. Are we going to worship the Lord and praise Him? And if we're not, we are going to grumble and complain. Psalms 24. The psalmist declares, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. All you people who are hunting and doing these things, the world and those who dwell in it, he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may ascend? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of salvation And the generation of those who seek him will seek your face, even Jacob. You know, when when Satan attacked Job and God told told Satan that he could have at her, Satan came to God and accused Job of worshiping him because he had stuff. Good family, good protection, it's all good. See, that's why he worships you. And God says, no, 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 no. We have relationship. Before, Job existed before Moses. He had nothing written. He did not have the Psalms. But he had a relationship with God the Father in heaven. And Satan says he loves you because you protect him. God says, no he doesn't. Here, I'll remove the protection. Have at her. And he did and Job still worshipped him. And Satan says, well it's because his body is not hurting. God says, no it's not. So he removed that and he had boils and lost everything he didn't kill his wife that's interesting to me he didn't kill his wife and I know why because in, for me in the garden of Eden God got through to Adam through, through Eve and Satan figured I'd work once maybe I'll keep her around in case I can use her again and so in the end he's got his wife coming to him and says Joe why don't you just curse God and die it's not worth it to worship him can't you see everything is miserable rotten this God doesn't love you. He doesn't care for us. 
Curse him and die. Be done with that. Job says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Are we going to worship him? Or are we going to complain? The last part, as Greg comes up. As Greg comes up. That was the gentle hint. Did you get that? All right. <laughs> See, here we have the picture of Jesus coming in on the horse. Jesus says that we should call him brother. So the truth is Jesus is our older brother. He's our brother. We are family. And so who is this? Lift up your heads, O gates, because you've been downcast. You've been, you've been like this. It's been difficult. What are we going to do? He says, lift up. Look up. Last week, he said on the chin, right? Look up. Here, look up. Lift up your heads, O you gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? He's my big brother. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Just remember all the taunting. Who do you think you are? You're not really God's son. You're nobody. You're nothing. Why do you think you're dying on the cross? You're nothing. Who was in Revelation? Who was worthy to open the seal? Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And we will either worship Him, or we will complain. If Jesus is Lord, we worship Him in spirit and in truth. Father, you love us so much. Words can't express it, but I have to use words because that's all I have. I have emotions and, and you've used them to display emotion. But the truth is, Father, if the heart is hard, it will not worship you. Nothing I can say will convince anybody. They're just words. Father, when the serpents bit the children of Israel and Moses rose up a snake and says, look at the serpent and you'll be healed. And people say, I'm not going to do that. Stupid. I'm not going to do that. Forget it. Hard hearts. Hard hearts. Father, there's no preaching or teaching or worship music or song. It's going to change anybody. Only your Holy Spirit will. And I invite you, Holy Spirit. I invite you, Holy Spirit, into each of our lives and our hearts for your glory. For your glory. May we choose this day to worship you in spirit and in truth. May we choose to take whatever it is that we've said, that prevents me from worshiping you, and lay it down. Say, okay, I'm done with that. I'm just done. I'm not going to complain and grumble about that anymore. I'm going to worship. Jacob, Joseph says, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord.
What will we do? What will we do? Thank you, Father. Amen.